Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. This is where we explore the nooks and crannies of the promotional products industry, uncovering some of the personalities that make this industry so dynamic and exciting. This is Mark Graham, one of the chefs here at PK, and I'm joined by fellow chef Eric Granada. In his day job, Eric is the VP of Business Development at Robin Promotions in Oklahoma City. In today's episode, we take a look at the cannabis industry and some of the branding and promotional products opportunities within this new and growing sector. To help us wrap our heads around the space, we spoke with Robert Sidwell, owner and principal designer at Indica Creative, a cannabis branding agency based in Oklahoma City. Indica focuses on logo development and brand strategy specifically for the cannabis sector. He is a graduate of the University of Oklahoma, where he studied visual communication and has also spent six years in the design field. Eric and I had a wide-ranging discussion with Robert where we covered everything from how to make cannabis clients look great through thoughtful design decisions to some of the restrictions that govern branding in the cannabis industry. We hope you enjoy. Robert, I know we all have our own stories when it comes to where we've landed professionally, but I'm curious about your story. Can you tell us how you wound up founding Indica Creative? Yeah, absolutely. I got my degree in visual communication from University of Oklahoma. After that, I decided that I kind of wanted to get out into the world a little bit. And so I packed up and moved to a new state, went to Denver, Colorado with my now wife. And there I just kind of began doing general freelance design. But I also happened to move out there about the same time that recreational cannabis became legal. And also about the same time I had gotten my first cannabis client. And we did been, you know, kind of a quiet passion of mine, but sort of snowballed from there and then really became growing when I came back to Oklahoma a few years ago. So tell us about that first client. What kind of work did you do for them and how did you get that client? They kind of came out of the blue. A big part of where I get my business from is Instagram. And so we've kind of curated that a little bit more than a lot of the other platforms we're on. So they kind of found me. And we started out with a real generic logo design. And it was a lot of fun doing it just because it was a passion of mine. So I think combining both design and we together just kind of ignited something. Was that client a dispensary? No, she was actually a solo grower. While I was in Denver, she was actually out of California. So you're working with growers. Who else in the cannabis industry do you provide services for? On our end, we do pretty much any ancillary business or any cannabis-based business is somebody that we end up working with. Okay. I don't know a whole lot about the cannabis business. So could you tell us the different pieces of that machine? Growers, obviously. Dispensaries, obviously. What else is there? There's a lot that include accessory manufacturers, tech startups. We've got tax professionals. And a big one that's coming up, hopefully, would be safe banking solutions. So big banks getting involved in stuff like that. And a lot of other ones that are becoming popular are like cannabis media platforms. When you think of traditional business, there's a lot of cogs that go into it. And a lot of the same cogs are working for this industry. So people need manufactured products and accessories. So there are ancillary businesses that do that. But then you've got, you know, people who grow flour and sell it to the dispensaries. So we do services for both dispensaries and the growers. 
And then some of those are the processors and they process it into the, the vape cartridges and the waxes and stuff like that. And so we also provide a lot of those same services to them. So there's not a whole lot of limitation to who we can work with and who we can't work with in the industry. I think what's interesting just hearing you say that is that it's clear there's a pretty robust ecosystem of players at all ends of the spectrum. And it's got to be a great market opportunity for you, Robert, because you can provide these design and agency style services to them at all ends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah, for sure. Robert, I'm wondering if you could tell me about a favorite client or project that you've worked on and why the work you did for them mattered. For me, I think it's more than one specific client or project. It's more like a favorite phase. Yep. Now the phase that I'm in and with Oklahoma becoming recently medical, I'm getting to work with clients mostly in my home state. So getting to help forward progress in this industry in something that I'm passionate about, like design, it's great. So there's a certain amount of extra satisfaction at that aspect. Right. Because this is a promotional products podcast, our audience are people in the promotional industry. Do you ever have clients that come to you looking for promotional items? And if so, what do you say to them? Not as often as you might think, but if there are times when they need something for a specific marketing campaign or an event, and that goes into a little bit about how we like to build our platform, which is what we mainly do is provide that platform for them to reach the audience that they really want to reach. Right. And so using that platform, we more so develop and curate the designs and aesthetic used to go on those promotional products. And I believe that's how the two of you met, Eric and Robert, how you met because Eric was doing some work for a client and he asked the question that we all ask in this business as distributors, can you send me your vector artwork? And the vector artwork came from the agency and that was you. We thank people like you because <laughs> you make the clients look good and then people like Eric can do fantastic promotional gear for them. Yeah. Again, like you mentioned, it's just a different ecosystem. It all works together. It's just a different industry. Robert, can you speak to some of the legal challenges when it comes to providing branding services for your clients? Yeah. And there's obvious things like copyright laws and intellectual property. But for this instance, there are certain restrictions online for how Facebook regulates cannabis content or the fact that a lot of these businesses can't run traditional pay-per-click ads online. But also since they're still federally illegal in the U.S., yeah. you know, jurisdiction falls to the states. And right now, each state has its own set of pretty much constantly changing regulations. So we have to work within those guidelines, per se, for like you know, packaging restrictions or individual state compliance laws. What can you tell us about where Oklahoma has landed, for example, on different advertising mediums for these businesses? Right now, it's still pretty open. And then the way that Oklahoma is pretty much set up, they set the bar pretty low for entry. So, you know, we can get licenses in Oklahoma for 2500 So a lot of the stuff, I think they're just trying to feel out how everything's going to go. We obviously started with medical and then looking for a wreck in the future. But right now, it's pretty wild, wild west. We've got billboard advertisements and stuff like that. So there's not a whole lot of that in Oklahoma right now. I think once, you know, the state gets on top of where it really needs to be, they'll start implementing a few more regulations for that. But you know, they've got things like dispensaries can't be a thousand feet from a daycare or a school or anything like that. So a lot of it's keeping it the visibility away from the kids. Okay. 
it's going to change depending on what state you're in, correct? Correct. So there are other states that completely ban any visual advertisement or things like that. You guys sent me the thing on Toronto's, the Canada thing, and it sounds like they're going to be pretty much strict on every single aspect as far as advertising goes. So it just depends on regionally, I think. Every place is different until it becomes legal everywhere. As a promotional products distributor, it would be very beneficial for me to know what the restrictions are. Is there a source that people working in marketing can find, maybe online or locally, that will have all the restrictions clearly stated? Yeah, and there's usually some entity in charge of all that stuff. For Oklahoma, for example, OMMA is the one who is in charge of that for us. And they've set out guidelines as far as what you can and what you can't do. So as long as you can find the entity involved and in charge of all that stuff, you should be able to find the regulations that they put forth as far as packaging or advertisement or things like that. Just wanted to jump in with a comment. And given that I'm in Canada, I was actually speaking with one of my colleagues at the distributor that I started. And there's a team at Right Sleeve that, that's the name of the distributorship, is actively working with a few cannabis businesses in Canada. And it's amazing how the rules and regulations have evolved since legalization last year. We can link to this in the show notes, but there is a site that I can link to that gets into all the different rules and regulations and restrictions around branding. But here are just three examples. Number one, only one brand element is allowed on each promotional item. Number two, the brand element cannot be larger than 300 square centimeters. And number three, the text cannot be larger than four centimeters in height. And in all the time that I've been in the promotional products industry as a distributor, I can't think of any client with the exception of these now new cannabis clients that have ever had any of these restrictions. I mean, of course, you get restrictions around pharmaceutical companies not being able to distribute product to doctors, but that's a different kind of rule. We've never actually been restricted on the size that a logo can be on a particular product. And I think that there's an extraordinary opportunity for those in the promotional industry that if they're educated about these types of restrictions, then they can be hugely helpful to their cannabis clients, some of whom may not know these restrictions. Or maybe an innocent marketer calls up and says, hey, I need to order 500 t-shirts and they want a logo at a certain size. The educated distributor will be able to guide that client. And I think there's a huge opportunity for distributors that are in the know about this space. Conversely, I think that there's a real risk for distributors that try to get into this business that aren't aware of these rules and regulations because that could result in a rejected order and the distributor holding the bag for that. So that's less of a question, just more of a comment and just trying to build a bridge back to the folks in the promotional products industry. And I'm giving a Canadian example there. Yeah. I mean, a big part of this industry, and we're going to touch later on experience, but part of it is the education, especially when you go into a bud tender and have them tell you about stuff as, you know, maybe a new customer or new to the industry and you're buying your first product. So it's hugely beneficial. You're going to go back to the dispensary that knows everything. Yeah. The same thing that goes for the promotion side. If you know somebody that is successfully promoting these products over and over again, because they are educated, you're going to be drawn towards that company because of what they've done successfully. Of course. 
Yeah, Mark, I like this point because we're always discussing in the promo industry what makes us different from each other and being able to specialize in something like this and offer added value through expertise is musical. That's one way to really go the extra mile for your client. A hundred percent. And I think we all know that the educated distributor is, and I'm sure this is the same case with you, Robert, that the educated service provider, shall we say, is usually the one that's able to command the best margins and command loyalty and is able to create this real franchise and reputation. That's a theme that we've mined a fair amount on the Promo Kitchen podcast over the years is just how distributors can take market knowledge, internalize it, and then make it a compelling value proposition when they're selling in the market. So you've been very helpful in this journey in helping us build this bridge. So thank you. I appreciate it. Robert, can you describe for us the kind of customers you might see at a dispensary? In short, it's all walks of life. Since more and more people are discovering the benefits of cannabis, you know, either medical or otherwise, you know, so we're seeing a more and more diverse groups of people making trips to dispensaries as a regular thing. Like they were going to the grocery store. So with a diverse audience like that, you know, you might have middle-aged housewives who have chronic pain, and then you might have somebody who maybe partakes more recreationally. How do you decide during your creative process how you're going to reach all of those different walks of life? When we develop those brands, you know, each person has a target audience that they're trying to reach. And so a lot of it stems from their individual personalities as the owner or the owners of the business, but there's always a target in mind. You're never going to get as many clients trying to gather in the middle of the road of everybody. There are segments of the industry that are more lucrative than others. And the way you position your brand allows you to reach those markets. And that's why the branding aspect is so important. A good example, I guess, would be like CBD Plus in Oklahoma. They do a lot of live your best life and health stuff. One of the audiences they reach is the older community, but they're doing it very successfully. Whereas instead of trying to meet everybody's needs all at once, they're specifying what they're trying to bring to the market. Robert, when you think about the different kinds of dispensaries and other folks in the ecosystem in the cannabis industry, you've got some of them that are cultivating more of this hippie deadhead image. You know, I'm thinking specifically with promotional products, it could be stress toys in the shape of pot leaves. But then of course, you've got other customers that are patronizing different types of parts of the supply chain that may be a little bit more wholesome. How do you balance those needs? Because there are different types of companies in the industry. And I'm just curious as to how you identify how you market each of these folks. It depends on how you view each one. I mean, the industry is you know, it's always evolving and progressing. And what worked for black market cannabis doesn't work in today's world of legal cannabis. And so the more it becomes mainstream, the further I see it getting away from that stigmatized design. Yeah. And again, with more legalization, the quote unquote wellness centers or the upscale ones, they're becoming is to be expected of dispensaries. But even then, I believe that, you know, they'll lose out to the dispensaries that are providing those unique experiences. Right. So the way your brand sends a message to people 
the stories you tell influences people to buy you know product A over product B, even though there may not be hardly any difference. And so what you get is the audience you want to always have in mind. You want to speak to them and making sure that you're speaking directly to them and what influences their purchasing habits. Right. I think that's a fantastic point. And if you, let's say for a second, move away from the cannabis industry, if you take any other industry that we might sell promotional products to, there's end clients that are at all ranges of the spectrum. You're going to have the fancy, bespoke, premium, higher-end offering, which may be a little bit more fancy, all the way down to the more basic business that may be a little bit more lower-end and just has a totally different go-to-market. So I'm gathering it's no different in the cannabis space. That leads me into another question I'm curious about is how you're finding businesses in the cannabis industry differentiating themselves from one another. You kind of touched on it before, uh, actually, but it's the value proposition that people are making for their company. So if you want people to, let's say, notice you, you can't be the same as everyone else. You don't want to get bossed in the crowd. Right. I mean, I know we're not in the shaving industry, but Dollar Shave Club does a really good example of this. They entered a market that had already been dominated for years. You know, the the big names all had the the metallic, technological design and aesthetic. And what they did was they were different. They were funny, intuitive. I think finding what makes a cannabis brand special and being able to create a unique identity around that sets them apart from each other. Maybe a follow-up to that is when you're interacting with your clients, presumably you're dealing with people who are direct competitors of one another and may, on some levels, be exactly offering the same kind of product and experience. How do you, as the agency, set about to use design as a differentiating factor between these players? Again, it goes back to each owner having a unique aspect or characteristic of why they got into the industry, what they're trying to provide to the industry or things like that. And and that's also one thing that I've, as a side note, found a great thing in the industry is everybody is usually here for it. There's not a whole lot of greed that's going on. Right. And so I think what we find is what makes them special. And I actually have like a creative brief that I send out when we talk to clients initially. And it tells me, you know, what their goals are, what kind of things they'd like to see, what the goals for their company in five years might be. And then we go into, you know, the discovery process. And that's where we pull out and, you know, examine the competition, even if it is the direct competition. And we find, again, what makes them unique and special. And that's how we build those identities so that not everyone is cookie cutter, but we do take a unique approach and a custom approach to each and individual client that we do take on. It's not a cookie cutter approach. And that's how we accomplish getting the different results. Robert, thinking about the different kinds of businesses found in the cannabis industry, you know, growers, labs, distributors, and dispensaries, how are these businesses marketing to each other? Well, you know, with a lot of the restrictions that we talked about before, they have, you know, like Canicon or High Times Cup or things like that. There's a large number of thousands of people who are meeting at these different events face-to-face. So I think face-to-face networking is pretty important at this stage in the industry. And then, as I mentioned before, becoming and growing popularity would be the cannabis media platform. So you've got Weed Maps and Leafly. And even on Facebook, as long as you 
adhere to their drug policy, you can have cannabis-based groups. And so people are reaching out the old-fashioned way and shaking hands and meeting up and all that kind of fun stuff. It's a different approach than what people are traditionally used to as far as being able to print in large-scale magazines or advertise online to, you know, the masses. That's a little refreshing, isn't it? In some ways, yes. And, you know, in other times it's a little irritating, but, you know, that's one of the things that that's just where we're at. Robert, what are some of the key opportunities for growth in your agency business when it comes to servicing this industry? You know, things that I have in mind are, are there new markets to tackle, additional services that you can offer beyond design? I'm curious about your growth trajectory opportunities selling into this space. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously opportunities that we could do as far as services go potentially later on, but we're pretty specialized with where we're at doing the front end branding process and developing all of that stuff that goes into launching your brand and making sure that your brand stays on path down the road. But we mentioned the ancillary services and things like that. So since they all deal in our realm of cannabis, they all fall within our niche. And that, you know, potentially widens our client base. And then as more states come online, and even as more countries come online, that expands our opportunities even further. Right. So your path to growth is more around servicing more customers and staying focused on the design side of things on the front end, as opposed to going deeper into offering additional marketing services, like promotional products could be a good example, or website design, or media buying all the different things and you see traditional agencies as they grow. Now, maybe you don't want to count those services out just now, but I'm curious if that's something that you've thought about in terms of what your future could look like. It's definitely something that we've considered. And, you know, as far as the branding process goes, there's a couple of things that are included in that just beyond the initial branding. So subsequent design on the back end for us would be the web development or the custom packaging that they need in order to be a successful business. So those are things that we have on the back end as far as, you know, expanding our services a little bit. But other than that, you are correct as far as ours is being able to provide our specialized service to a larger group of people. Robert, we've talked about cannabis, obviously, and you brought up CBD a few minutes ago. Are there any parallels with other services or other niches like vaping companies? that you would find uh, have commonality? Yeah, I mean, the commonality would be a lot of the same mindset. You know, a lot of people, whether they're developing even CBD vapes versus THC vapes, but the processors on the cannabis side are involved in processing to make the vape cartridges. So a lot of the parallels come with them being in the same mindset almost. So a lot of the same aesthetics that some people might find in the cannabis industry also appeal to people in the vaping industry. And the same could be said for, you know, again, the CBD part of it. It's all within the same, not the exact same industry, but the same ecosystem. So kind of along those lines, you know, obviously cannabis is kind of an emerging industry, but both vaping and cannabis seem to be difficult categories. There's a little bit of controversy around them. What lessons can we learn about how to provide marketing services for the cannabis industry and these other emerging industries that kind of challenge the status quo? Well, I mean, marketing has a huge impact 
that's why it's round. It, it gets what your content is in front of your audience and, you know, thousands, potentially millions of people. So that, that's the power of marketing. And a lot of the things floating around about the vape cartridges or the illegal black market cartridges that are being cut with, you know, different ingredients that make them harmful. So on the marketing aspect, if we were able to market to people and let them know that if you go about it correctly in an organic fashion and don't use, you know, the cutting agents or anything like that, there's nothing wrong with the legal vape cartridges. So I think the power of marketing to change and persuade people in a different direction than just, oh, all vaping is bad, let's ban it all. You know, I mean, I think there's power in that. Robert, I'm curious if you can talk about the parts of the cannabis industry that you dislike. And if you had a magic wand and you could wave it, how would you get rid of some of these things that you dislike about the industry? I think the biggest dislike that I have is probably still the black market usage. Like I said before, there's a lot of great people in this industry. There's a lot of great people that I've met through this industry. And I think that would be kind of the one aspect that I would love to just poof and make everything legal. Because if everything was legal and recreational, then I think we'd be in a different situation. A lot of people would become understanding, informed, educated on what the possibilities that the cannabis actually has. Right. And it's almost like the black market is like a bit of a weight that kind of drags the legitimate industry down because it creates a stigma and an impression that this is, you know, a shady business. And that I imagine has probably got challenges for you as a marketing services provider in providing your services that you may feel like you're taking two steps forward and maybe half a step back kind of thing. That is not the issue with a lot of other industries that you could sell marketing services to where you don't have that baggage or that cloud that is partly hanging over the space. Right. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is elevate the standards of cannabis design. So, you know, we try to really avoid the green crosses or the pot leaf design. So in our way, we're trying to work against that stigma. So again, yeah, if the black market part of it wasn't there, this is an opportunity in an industry where innovation is thriving nonstop. It could potentially, in a couple of years, being a $20 billion industry across the board. I mean, that helps hugely with revenue for states. So, you know, there's a lot of potential and upside for it if we could get around that stigma. So again, with our design, that's one thing that we're trying to change. Yeah. Hey, Eric, I have a question for you. So I mentioned earlier on in the podcast that the way that you and Robert met was Robert had sent you the vector file for a client that you were working with, or maybe a client that you have in common. Can you tell me a little bit about the promotional products that you produced for that client? And if there was anything kind of unique about that client project compared to, let's say, another, maybe more traditional Robin client? Sure. So you know, our initial presentations were included product that did have references to pot leaves and that sort of thing. But a lot of the product that we ended up quoting and presenting was just kind of necessities like the odor-proof bags and retail bags in general, you know, for them to take stuff out the door. There were some vaping products in there, obviously grinders and papers, but we have just as much opportunity with that client selling things that just any business would need in the first place. Yep. 
then we do specific niche items like a pot leaf keychain. Right. I almost feel like that's maybe at the worst end of it. It's almost like it's kind of expected and maybe some can of businesses, I think that you said that era, can of businesses. I like that. I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> May not like that because it feels like it's too stereotypical. Whereas they may just be looking to create great merchandise that doesn't necessarily pigeonhole them into being this potentially shady pot supplier. Yeah. Robert, I'm curious, you kind of touched on this a moment ago. Do you find yourself having to coach clients away from the stereotypes that they might want to reinforce with the way their brand looks? Definitely. If somebody is dead set on something and this is what they really, really want, you know, we're going to try to make it look as presentable as possible. But that's definitely something that we try to turn them away from. And most of the time, you'll find that they're all for it. It may not be something that they have thought of before or a reason to do that. You know, maybe they were just thinking, oh, I'm going to get into the pot business. My logo should be a pot and all of my stuff should be green. So. Yeah, that's that education where we are informed and help our clients make those informed decisions. So it may not be beneficial to them to have that big green cross because a thousand other dispensaries have that big green cross. And so that's something to steer away from because it doesn't differentiate themselves at all and it doesn't help their business in the long term. The fact is that this industry is going to stay around and eventually it will be completely recreational and they don't want to tie themselves down to one design and not have to work out in the future. I'm reminded by this thing that Danny Rosen uh, has often said on the podcast and outside the podcast that their business at Brand Fuel is to challenge their customers who come to them asking for things like stress toys. They've got this like joke there that Brand Fuel won't sell stress toys because they just think that that's the sort of the stereotypical promotional product request. And even though they could produce an order of stress toys very easily and make some good money selling it, they're always quick to push back to their clients who ask for this sort of stuff and really dig into their marketing objectives so that they can come and suggest something that is going to be way more impactful. I feel like there's a bit of a parallel between that and the cannabis business that comes to you, Robert, and says, hey, I want that deadhead image or I want the pot leaf. And you push back and say, hey, this may not be the right educated marketing choice for you. Right. It all comes across as very low brow because, again, of that stigma. And so I think that nobody really wants to be low brow. And again, they may not have thought of anything else as an option. So again, it's our job to be informed enough to tell them one way or the other. I remember when the vote was up here in Oklahoma for medical legalization and I'd be driving to work every morning and I'd see some tent popped up for getting petition signatures. And I found myself kind of frustrated because I would pull up to this tent and it's Grateful Dead flags, nothing against the Grateful Dead, and it's tie-dye. And it just pushed this message that I know a lot of the red state Oklahomans are driving by shaking their head when, you know, as far as why I would support that. And I did. It had a lot more to do with the medical side, the legitimate reasons that medical marijuana should be considered. So I really appreciate, Robert, what you're doing and helping to elevate the industry. Well, thank you. Robert, is there anything that distributors 
uh, like Robin or Right Sleeve who work in promotional products and apparel? Is there anything you want them to know about working in this industry? I don't think there's anything that I really would like them to know. I think they're all smart enough, intelligent people. And so I just want them to be able to carry over the same standards that we bring to our design process. And, you know, that way everything is above board. And again, we're trying to reduce that stigma. So I think if we can all be on the same page as far as elevating those standards, then we should all be good. I think as a follow-up to that, if I'm a promotional products distributor listening to this and I'm inspired to go out and track down business in the cannabis industry and I'm looking to educate myself further beyond this podcast, are there resources that you would direct them to? Or maybe another way of asking that is, what are the things that you refer to for inspiration and education when it comes to your knowledge of the business? I think it's just an active learning cycle. Usually a lot of my searches online are related to cannabis. And I think that just comes out through my passion for it. So staying up to date on a lot of the topics, especially again, here in Oklahoma, where it's hitting home, I think just, you know, an active, healthy reading diet of all things that are online or you know, being able to meet industry leaders, those are ways, you know, to educate yourself and be, you know, a prominent member of the industry. I keep going back to the stigma, but it helps reduce the stoner stigma. Being able to talk to somebody and have a real intelligent conversation on the topic. I'm wondering, Eric here, it just made me think, I think about the promotional products industry itself. And you think about the different ends of the spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you've got highly professional distributors that have invested in their business. They've got a great brand. They go to market in a very differentiated way. And then on the other hand, you may have other distributors that may define themselves as trunk slammers or as like the fly-by-nighters or as the guy who can get you t-shirts. And all of us are in the same industry. I'm not necessarily saying one is better than the other, but I'm wondering if Eric, you might see a parallel between Robert's comment about the stoner stigma side of the cannabis business and maybe the fly-by-nighter trunk slammer type who's a distributor versus the highly differentiated, well-branded cannabis business that being parallel to say, like a distributor, like a Robin that has done a great job of presenting itself as a professional distributor in this industry. I don't know. I might be reaching far there, but I always like to draw parallels between the two spaces. What do you think? I'm with you on that. And I had the same thought. You know, the trunk slammer is going to compete on price. Yeah. And that's their prerogative, but it doesn't sound very fun to me where the distributor who can leverage their expertise, much like a marketer who can leverage his own expertise in what the marijuana industry needs is going to have a much deeper conversation than how many colors can I put on a koozie. Right. And I think that that goes back to Danny's comment about stress toys. And I feel badly for those who provide stress toys because I don't think they're all that evil, but Danny certainly does. So <laughs> I think it's interesting, the different segments of an industry and where in which you play. And I think that goes back to the initial part of this podcast, Robert, where we were talking about what end of the spectrum you play in as a marketing service provider and how it is that you're advocating for this more professional side of the business and how you use design to make that happen. Robert, my last question, how can we help companies 
like you and the companies that you serve succeed in this new industry? I think it really just comes down to quality service. We're all in the service industry. So as long as you're providing that quality service that at least my side can rely on is virtually invaluable. There's times when we deal with manufacturers and stuff and there's all kinds of issues and coordination and communication problems and stuff like that. And so I, I think that playing on the same team, we just need to have that open communication. So as long as there's a clear line, I think it'll be successful for everybody on my side and, and on end result for your side as well. Robert, we always like to give our guests the final word. Is there either something that you'd like to address that we haven't asked you at this point? Or would you want to share how people might be able to contact you? Because I think that there'll be a number of folks listening to this that may be curious to track you down, to ask you questions, maybe pepper you with ideas. Maybe there's a, an opportunity to work even with you, given your expertise on the design side. And there may be some folks that might appreciate that as they go to market on the promotional side. Yeah, absolutely. Our handle across all social platforms is Indica Creative, one word. And then our website is www.indicacreative.com. And there's a contact form at the bottom of that. So if there's anybody that potentially would like to get in contact with us, that's one way to do it. As far as the final word, I think the fact that we're here having this conversation shows a lot for the progression of this industry. Like I said, I mentioned the black market a lot, and that's where it started. And so the fact that we're here having this podcast between the three of us in the light of real business, I think it's a great step forward. Wow. Well, Robert, thank you so much on behalf of the PK community. We're really looking forward to this podcast with you. And I know that this is an area where there's a lot of people who are doing well, but there's also some people that just really don't know what they're doing in this space and I think clearly represent some interesting opportunity for those distributors that are educated and curious about the space so that they can drive huge value for their customers. So we really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us and inspiring us to take action. Absolutely. Mark and Eric, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be on here and talk with you guys. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.